Alistair, I've been thinking of how we could lighten the mood for all of our listeners out there during this stressful time. Oh, no. This is a car crash waiting to happen. Yeah. Okay. Here's one for the medical physicist. A photon checks into a hotel. The hotel bellhop asks, can I help you with your luggage? And the photon replies, I don't have any. I'm traveling light. Uh, yeah, that's a great provision. Great. Okay, wait, wait. No, no, no. I, got, I got another one. I got another one. How do you know if an electrophysiologist is flirting with you? Uh, I don't know. Well, because if you wink at them, they'll winky back. They'll winky back. You, you get it? Yeah. Thanks, Praveen. Let's move on with the podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. I am Praveen Ranganath with radiology at the University of Texas Southwestern in Dallas, Texas, in the United States. And I am Alistair Moss, a cardiologist at the University of Leicester in the UK. In this episode, we will be discussing one of the latest papers that is challenging the primacy of invasive angiography for NSTEMIs, that is the verdict CT study. We know that patients who present with chest pain and are found to have elevated cardiac biomarkers are a heterogeneous group. Some of them may have severe obstructive coronary artery disease, whereas others may have completely normal vessels. In the very early versus deferred invasive evaluation using computerized tomography in patients with acute coronary syndrome, the verdict trial, taking ACS patients to the cath lab within five hours did not improve clinical outcomes compared with a delayed invasive strategy within two to three days. Yeah, that's interesting. So no difference between the early and the delayed strategies. But how was CT used in the verdict trial? Well, a pre-specified observational study took some of the recruited patients to the CT scanner before heading to the cath lab. Now, this is the largest study to date, which tests the diagnostic performance of coronary CTA in an ACS population. All the previous studies we usually mention are in stable populations. Dr. Jesper Linda and colleagues published this study's results in JAK in February 2020. Alistair, can you talk to us a bit more about the study population? Well, firstly, this was a sub-study. So out of the 2,147 verdict trial participants, 1,023 patients with suspected acute coronary syndrome were included from hospitals in Copenhagen, Denmark. They had either ECG changes suggestive of ischemia in 40% or an elevated troponin in 80%, and approximately one in eight patients had a previous PCI procedure. Importantly, the investigators excluded patients with bypass grafts, moderate renal impairment, atrial fibrillation, and women aged under 45. Of note, 463 patients who were eligible at the outset for coronary CTA did not have a CT due to out-of-hours trial randomization. And I think this just highlights the clinical reality that coronary CTA is not available 24-7 in most centers. Yeah, that's right, Alistair. Only recently did we begin offering 24-hour coronary CT coverage out of the ER in our institution beginning about last year. How about you guys across the Atlantic? Well, over here in the UK, we haven't moved to 24-7 provision yet, but we're starting to use it in some of the intermediate risk ACS cases as seen in this study population. You know, I'm sure the future standard of care is going to demand that coronary CTA services are available 24-7, which might be a nightmare for the fellows. 
But I digress. Let's dig further into the methods of the verdict trial itself. Regarding equipment, coronary CTA was performed primarily with a wide array 320 detector row scanner in about 80% of cases. The CT data was then visually assessed for coronary artery disease and binned into three categories, which were then compared to a reference standard invasive angiography. The three categories were as follow. First, a negative study, which is normal coronary arteries or coronary stenoses less than 50%. Second, a positive study, where there is at least one coronary stenosis of greater than or equal to 50%. And third, a non-diagnostic scan. So what were the results? Well, in one in four cases, that's 265 patients, there was a negative coronary CTA study, which was confirmed in 241 invasive angiograms. This gave coronary CTA a negative predictive value of 91%, with a sensitivity of 97%. The majority of missed cases were in patients with single vessel disease in side branch segments with a lumen of less than 2.5 millimeters. Only three patients, that's 0.3% of the population, had a false negative coronary CTA in an epicardial vessel. And they were in one mid right coronary artery, one mid LAD, and one in the left main, but When they did the FFR, that was greater than 0.8. So I guess we could say that that was probably non-ischemic. One in 20 patients, that's 53 patients, had a non-diagnostic scan. And these scans were combined with 705 positive CTs to give a positive predictive value of 88% and a specificity of 72%. Unsurprisingly, when Patients with stents were scanned, this dropped the positive predictive value to 85% and the specificity to 37%. And I guess this just emphasizes the ongoing challenge of stent assessment using coronary CTA. Right. Alistair, were there any scan-related factors that may have affected the results? Well, as just over half were scanned within two and a half hours of randomization, you may expect the early scans to be affected by suboptimal heart rate control. In fact, both the acquisition heart rates and radiation doses were similar between early and deferred time points. There was a mean heart rate of 64 beats per minute, indicating that the investigators most likely gave rate control therapy, although this is not detailed in the manuscript. I think it's important to mention that lowering the heart rate in suspected ACS cases is very different from the stable setting where we're using supramaximal doses of beta blocker. From a clinical perspective, there's no safety data on beta blockade dose in higher risk patients undergoing coronary CTA. And the nature of an NSTEMI means that some of these patients may have had underlying conduction disease, valvular heart disease, or left ventricular impairment, which is considered relative contraindications to beta blockade use. Regarding radiation dose, well, the use of prospective ECG gating protocols resulted in a mean dose of 5.3 millisieverts, which is in line with what we see in the stable CAD setting. Nice. Let's delve a little bit deeper into the three categories that the investigators used. First of all, is a stenosis of greater than 50% the best definition for significant coronary artery disease in the context of ACS? We know from physiological experiments from Gould and colleagues that luminal stenoses as low as 40% can be potentially ischemic. It does seem a bit passe, doesn't it, in the age of FFR-CT? 
There are some studies that compare visual assessment of stenosis with coronary CTA and invasive FFR. Mitch Boom and colleagues back in 2008 reported in a Jack paper that for stenosis less than 50%, the visual assessment of CT performs surprisingly well compared to an FFR of less than 0.8, with a sensitivity and negative predictive value of 94%. There are other CT parameters which have been used for predicting flow-limiting disease, such as lesion length of greater than 10 millimetres, minimal area diameter of 1.8 millimetres squared, and an area stenosis of greater than 70%. But, and I hasten to add, these were all in the context of stable coronary artery disease. In the verdict CT study, whilst invasive FFR of presumed intermediate stable lesions was encouraged, it wasn't mandated. So we don't really know. Right. You know, this initial analysis of the CT data in verdict is relatively rudimentary using just visual stenosis assessment. The omission of a more detailed plaque characteristic analysis seems like a missed opportunity here. Some of these characteristics were like the ones you mentioned, as well as the other ones we use in stable disease, like spotty calcifications, a hypoattenuating core, or remodeling. We're seeing more and more that detailing these potentially high-risk plaque features is the main strength of coronary CTA. CTA is like the non-invasive IVUS. I completely agree, Praveen. We're starting to see more and more evidence that non-obstructed plaques play an important role and may be responsible for more myocardial infarctions than we have historically appreciated. I'm sure the investigators will be exploring this in future analyses. To wrap up, while current guidelines recommend invasive coronary angiography as the first-line test, one in four patients presenting with a suspected NSTEMI do not have significant coronary artery disease at cath. So for these NSTEMI patients, coronary CT angiography can accurately detect and exclude coronary artery disease. Great, Praveen. But wait a minute. The verdict results give cardiovascular images more confidence in the accuracy of coronary CTA and NSTEMIs. But how safe is it to avoid going to the cath lab based on a negative CT? Will we miss any heart attacks if we use a hashtag CT first strategy? <laughs> well, Alistair, that is a great question that our Dutch colleagues have actually already addressed in the recently published Carmenta trial. We will cover the Carmenta trial and how it relates to cardiac CT in an upcoming episode of the podcast. Brilliant, Praveen. Thanks. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you, Alistair. And thank you, everyone out there. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, The Donut of Destiny. Cheers. Cheers.